Okay, welcome back to the Multipod. And my name is Ted. I'm one of three co-hosts today. Vanessa's with me. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. It's 8 a.m. where I am, so I'm still waking up <laughs> a bit, but I'm good. Yeah. And Christy's back. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing really well. Looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah. And uh, then all the way over, our first ever guest from Ethiopia. We're very, very excited to be joined by Eden Tadesse, who's joining us live today. Hi. Hey. Welcome. Hello. Hi, Welcome. It's really great to be here. Yeah, we've uh, been really excited to to talk to you, get to know your story and the things that you're up to. If, um, you've got lots of wide variety of things, of course, and interesting things, some different topics, I think, that we haven't really talked about on this show. We're, mm-hmm. we're looking at things like um, cybersecurity and artificial intelligence, but that's probably just going to skim the surface because, of course, like all multipods, there's lots of different interests and lots of things that you do. So let's see. Now, you've been in the verse for, I guess it says, coming up on three years later this uh, spring. How did you uh, first discover the verse? How did you come to join the group? I think I was... Um... I heard Emily's TED Talk through a friend, so a friend shared it with me. I was at university at the time, and I was obsessed with TED Talks. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, me being a multi-potentialite, it was no secret to my friends and family. Um, so a friend said, well, I mean, have you heard this pod- uh, this TED Talk? And I was like, actually, no, I haven't. And then I watched it, and I was like, wow, this is really amazing. Uh, and I love researching people. I love reading their bios and what inspired them to do what they do. So I did that with Emily as well. And then, yeah, came across the the site and then came across the community. Fortunately, when I wanted to join, the doors were closed, the application process, but um, I waited patiently. And then, yeah, I was also notified actually, because I was on the waiting list, Um, but was really, really keen to see what I could contribute to the community and to learn from other people and um, to share my story as well. Cause there, I've never found a platform like the Puttyverse before mm-hmm. where I could just be myself. And yeah, so that's kind of how I heard about it and how I got into being a Puttyverse member. That Ted talk <laughs> has gotten so many people into the group. <laughs> I know, I know, <laughs> but uh, recently I also, um, I encouraged uh, a friend of mine, he, his name is Jeff, and he's from Germany, hmm. and he's, oh, he's quite young. I know Jeff. I just finished. Yeah, he he just recently finished high school, and I got. To, I was talking with him. I don't know how um, this conversation came up, but we were talking, and then I noticed that he was working in like so many different sectors. And then I said, like, "Are you a multipotentialite?" And he had no idea what I was talking about, but. Um, yeah, I explained it to him. He loved the term. He, I, I sent him Emily's TED Talk, but then I also linked him with the Puttyverse. And now he's a member. So, yeah, I'm really happy about that, uh, bringing more multipods um, to the community. I think that's really important because I gained so much, so I want to give back to other. Cool. Nice. Cool. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. Are there any uh, particular groups or activities that you engage in the most in the Puttyverse? Um. I mean, I'm part of quite a few groups, I think. Um, but, you know, um, for me, I would say I just mostly engage with the different discussions on the forum because um, I'm always, like, researching different things. I'm always part of different communities. So whenever someone has, like, a question or they would like more insight on a particular topic, that's really where I come in and I could offer some resources there. Um, I've also been part of some group discussions. So, I mean, like, the, the threads will always appear on the forum. Um, and I think that's really a great way of like 
like-minded individuals coming together and like stimulating discussions about things that we're really passionate about, whether that's music or mental health or coaching or science or spirit spirituality. Um, but yeah, I mean, something that I would like to get more, that I would like to be more involved in is definitely the huddles. Cause I, the huddles are always like 10 PM or 11 PM my oh, time, yeah. which is kind of late. Yeah, that's hard. We have people from all around the world. Yeah, I really, I want to be, be more active there. Um, but yeah, there are some interesting huddles, I think, appearing now. The ones that I'm most interested in are, I think, the one, the, the one for entrepreneurs, because I feel like that's um, something that I could, that I would be very passionate about. But I don't want to join when it's like 11 p.m. my time and no. I'm like exhausted from a very long day. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's so late. <laughs> so. You might have to get people to try to host different times if they can. But yeah, the more, I think the more we grow, it seems like the more op- options people are coming up with. So I've noticed that in the coaches group too, that people yeah. are like, well, let's make two calls because that way, more people can participate. Yeah, so absolutely. when when the volume of people is enough, yeah, yeah, awesome, definitely. And I understand how like the evening is better for most people because they're working or they're studying. But like eight p.m. Europe time is still quite late for me. Yeah, you know? um, and it's like morning I think in the U.S. and Canada. But yeah, we'll see. Like, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think people are creating like these different um, events happening throughout the day, mm-hmm. which is good. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to juggle all the time zones. We know that here at the Multipod. (laughs) Yeah. So I would love to jump into a little bit of your background because you're currently in the cybersecurity space. I have a degree in cybersecurity uh, and I was working briefly um, for the Ministry of Innovation and Technology in Ethiopia. Um, So it was basically like an apprenticeship. Okay, cool. So um, yeah, I'm curious what your background is then. So you studied cybersecurity. Yes. Uh, where did you do that and what brought you into it, etc.? It's actually quite interesting. So I uh, got a full scholarship to study IT uh, in India at a private university in India when I was 18, when I just graduated from high school. Okay. And I had specifically wanted to go to India because I was obsessed with India for so many years. Uh, and IT was my passion. Like if anybody knew anything about me when I was in high school, it was that like Eden is your go-to person for anything technology related. Mm. So that was my my field, my domain. And then, you know, I got this dream scholarship at my dream university and working in a field that I love. So I was very grateful. But when I went to India, of course, IT is a huge field. And it's very competitive there, the labor market as well. So I had initially I had wanted to get a job in India, like maybe working for some of the big tech companies like IBM or Microsoft. Um and then, of course, I think halfway throughout my studies, they told us that we have to pick a specialization. And I think they gave us like eight options or nine. Um, and then the one that really stuck to me is cybersecurity because mm. um, I want to join Interpol one mm. day. Uh, I want to join their headquarters <laughs> oh, cool. in France. Nice. <laughs> and you'll see how like completely different this is than the other plans that I have in my life. But um, the reason why I want to join Interpol is because I want to fight human oh. trafficking, mm-hmm. but on the cybercrime space. So this is human fighting tra- human trafficking, something that I've always been passionate about since I was very, very young, after a friend of mine was trafficked. Oh my goodness. And so I said, if I want to do something meaningful in this space, it has to be tackling the root causes, which is like the perpetrators, the, the criminals. And Interpol is at the forefront of that. I mean, I know they're, you know, they're quite huge and you don't always hear about the impact that they're having in the world. But um, when it comes to 
tracking down cyber criminals and fighting human trafficking. I don't uh, personally, I don't see any other organization doing it better than them. So I want to work for their headquarters in France in the cybercrime division. And then one day I want to lead the cybercrime division. So for me, I know it's like, huh, but <laughs> like when I saw the options, I was like, definitely cybersecurity. So I studied it. I specialized in it. I graduated and then I came home and then there was like no jobs in cybersecurity, which was kind of sad because you know it's something that I really very really passionate about the only option that I had was to take like an apprenticeship which is like non-paid and just to kind of um, see what the, um, the government is doing in the yeah and the cyber the cyber security and intelligence division that we have so um, it's called INSA which is like the CIA version of Ethiopia and just yeah so I got like an apprenticeship there very short term but I got to really learn from um all the different like uh, security analysts that were working there to see like what they're doing. Of course, it's nothing in the human trafficking space, but I, I just wanted to see what a future career in this space looks like. And then I joined like so many women in tech forums. Mm. Um, and then I also noticed that there was a lack of female cybersecurity professionals, yep. <laughs> um, which motiv motivated yeah. me more. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, again, like I waited like a year and there was still no jobs in cybersecurity. So, I mean, the jobs that were available were like few and it's like, you know, networking administrator, security analyst, like very senior roles. Like they, they're not looking for someone with a bachelor's. Mm -hmm. They're looking with someone with like a master's and seven years of experience. So mm -hmm. I just said like, this is something that I have to take t training in, whether that's here or abroad. I have to train, train, train do with the different certifications that are necessary for my field. And then eventually, yeah, eventually I'll get, I'll get to Interpol yeah. and I will be fine. Oh, I love that. <laughs> there. I love that. Wow. You sound like you have a very strong drive and determination. Uh, when, um, when you said, you know, this is something you've been interested in, it sounds like it's, it's always, you've got a plan. I'm just so impressed with, yeah. because that's, it's a strong thread. Yeah, you've got a vision and a plan to get there. Yeah. And so that's awesome because uh, it's <laughs> easy to have vision and sometimes hard to get there. So right. definitely admire that. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. And on the, um, on the inter, well, it's interesting, Interpol, it's, there's a whole discussion. I'm wondering, is the mark, has the market changed? recently for cybersecurity? Are you still finding that there's um, limitations as far as, because that's a personal pet peeve of mine is that employers want, you know, seven years of experience. It's yeah. like, well, how do you, you get in as an entry level? That's so frustrating. Right. Yeah. Do you have to you have no go idea. through all the schooling and everything? Really? Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really frustrating because I know if I went to Poland, or if I went to the UK or the States, I would definitely find an entry uh, level position in cybersecurity, you know, like many organizations, because it's so rare to find a, a cybersecurity graduate that they definitely want to take you in and they want to train you. They want you to be the best that you can be, because I think it was like, I read an article from Forbes many years ago about like the one thing that Fortune 500 CEOs are mm -hmm. scared of the most, and it's like cyber attacks. More than terrorism, more than bankruptcy, they're scared of cyber. Because <laughs> that could cripple Absolutely. their business, right? Understandably. The market is still quite, um, uh, it's, it's quite tough in Ethiopia. And I think maybe also generally in East Africa, there aren't that many of these, like, these global tech players, these global tech companies that are hiring these cybers. Because if there were these big tech companies here, as they are in India and other parts of the world, then you would see way more security jobs available in the market. 
but here uh, not so much um i mean i wish there were and i would apply if there were but right now the only thing that i see that i could do reasonably is just to take more training until i am ready to take a certification and once i have a certification that gives me a leg up like i don't need five years of experience once i have um those certifications on my portfolio or in my CV, then yeah, then they would be more likely to hire me. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Aside from like 10 other things. <laughs> yeah. What about the 10 other things? What's, what's the other most, uh, where you spend your time? Yeah. So quite a few things. Uh, I'm very much involved in the social impact sector. So from, from a very young age, I was volunteering with different NGOs and I noticed that um, this is going to be my future. Like I'm going to work in technology but only in the um, in the space where it intersects with like humanitarian sector and social impact. Um, so I have my own organization, which is called Invicta. Uh, Invicta is a Latin word meaning undefeatable. It's basically like an organization that serves refugees and internally displaced youth when it comes to employment, education, and mental health. And we chose the name Invicta because we felt that this represents the mental fortitude of refugees globally, like they are undefeated, they are heroes. So that's something that I work on as the founder and CEO. And I've been working on this business for about three years. I mean, we will celebrate our three-year anniversary, I think in 10 days, which is pretty exciting. Um, yeah, and then I, I also wow. work for another organization, another NGO based in Finland, which is called Ambitious Africa. Um, and that's also very much youth-led um, and mission-driven organization that's working to um, create impact in many different African and Nordic communities. Um, so very much projects that are aligned with like SDGs and youth empowerment and livelihood and entrepreneurship. So things, again, that I'm very passionate about. So I serve there as the chief executive officer. It's a new role for me and it's very exciting. And I, and I really love the work that I do. Um, and then I also have a podcast like you guys. And I use Zencaster, which is like also awesome because <laughs> it's like my favorite podcasting platform. Uh, a podcast for women in STEM. So um, it will be launched officially on women, International Women's Day, which is in a couple of days. Um, so this podcast features 25 female uh, professionals from 25 different countries who share their stories about how they came to study STEM, what the challenges have been for them personally, what advice they would give to other aspiring female STEM students. And the goal of this or the purpose of this podcast is to inspire young uh, female high school students who are unsure about whether or not they should study medicine or engineering or science in university because of maybe social or, or cultural norms. So it's mostly just to, high, uh, to inspire like the, the high school students. And I think I will work very hard to distribute it to these, these schools that are in um, countries like Yemen, Ethiopia, Egypt, um, Turkey, like countries that have very, very, very low rates of female STEM graduates. Mm -hmm. yeah. I um, That's so cool. I actually work in the women in STEM space oh, as nice. well here in Canada. Um, so I actually wanted to ask you what the tech landscape is like in Ethiopia and um, especially for women, I have some ideas of what you might say, but I would love to hear what you think. Yeah, um, I think here it's also quite low. I would say um, the, the rates of female graduates in, in engineering and 
medicine particularly are extremely, extremely low. I mean, hmm. um, I think now maybe it's increasing, especially in the computer engineering space or the software engineering space. We're seeing mm -hmm. many more women, many more young females apply. But in other aspects like math and science um, and medicine, like these fields, I think, are very male dominated and continue to be male dominated. Um, but, you know, the funny thing is in terms of like the labor market, I think many companies are actually seeking for female, female graduates in these STEM fields. So there is absolutely a demand, mm -hmm. uh, but on the supply side, I would say it's, it's still quite weak. Yeah. It's so interesting because that's kind of the case everywhere. And I'm sure that there are countries where there are more women participating than other countries, but still so low comparatively. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully like universities and other and high schools as well could incentivize more women to, mm -hmm. to pursue these fields, right? Especially those who have really good grades in, in math and science subjects, um, because a lot of them get pressured by the, their parents or their friends to pursue mm -hmm. other subjects that they're not so passionate about. But yeah, there, there's really, it's really a collective effort, I think, um, when it comes to female empowerment and especially female empowerment in the STEM space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we all have a role to play. Yeah, absolutely. What was it like for you growing up in, in Addis Ababa? And were you able to get some support and be in a bit of a nurturing environment? Just what was the experience as you pursued your education and interest? Yeah, good question. So um, I, I owe all my success and all my happiness to my father. So he's really, he ran a tight ship. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> me, and, me and my 11 siblings. So we are a dozen. If wow. you've seen the movie Cheaper by a Dozen, then you'll get the picture like it's exactly like that. Or it was <laughs> like that when we were younger and we all lived under the same roof. Wow. Um, he was extremely strict because he raised nine daughters in a patriarchal society. So he had two options, either raise them the way society wants them to be raised or raise them to be like fierce, badass women who can do anything and be anything that they want to be. And of course he chose the second option, you know, because he, he didn't have good parents and they weren't like mm. good role models for him. You know, his, his father was quite abusive. Um, but he ended up being like this incredible father who always pushed us to be the best that we could be. Um, and so from a very young age, he was like encouraging us to get jobs, to volunteer, to do sports. I think like I got my first paying job when I was 16. So that kind of fast tracked my career already. And it was all because of him. And um, yeah, basically just the, the values that he had for us. And he used to send around like a spreadsheet when we were younger. And you might say, like, why a spreadsheet? But he's a finance manager, so that may give you some context. Well, and he had he's a 12 kids. Guru. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. A yeah. few things to keep track of. <laughs> yeah, I had to organize yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, he had to be efficient there. But, um, yeah, so the spreadsheet would say, like, what are you going to do this year in terms of sports? Because we had to be engaged in sports. What are you going to do? Where are you going to volunteer? So where, which NGO or which community project are you going to be working on? And then the last one is about jobs. So which or company are you going to approach for a paying job? And this was like compulsory for all of us. Hmm. And we now we're like doing so many different things and we're all busy individuals. And it's all because of him and all these values that he instilled in us in a young age, which is just to know ourselves and to be aware of all the potential that we have in the world. And from a very young age, like I was a multipod. I was a proud multipod. And I was an outspoken multipod. And he loved that. And he, he cheered me on every step of the way. 
um, I wouldn't say that he's a multipod really, but he, you know, he, he does love finance, but he's always, I always find him reading very different books. Once I, I found him reading a book on chemistry, which is kind of odd, but you know, uh, yeah, so he, <laughs> I am really inspired by him. Um, so he played a key role in my upbringing. I think like um, him being very strict and always pushing us to be the best that we can be. Um, gave us like a very, very interesting and a very enriching upbringing, which I'm always thankful to him for. Um, and, you know, me and my siblings now, we're all doing like super different things. Um, and, you know, we all have him to thank for that. So that that was kind of like my upbringing. He had, I mean, my mom also very, um, very supportive of everything that we do. But my dad always made sure that he played an active role. And that, you know, if we had free time, we were like watching BBC or we were, you know, like creating a website or we were out doing like Taekwondo or something <laughs> like there was no, no time to just chill. And, and you know, once my, my friend in college, uh, I was I gave a speech about my dad. And then after the speech, she asked me like, you know, that's very interesting, everything you say about your dad. But do you kind of feel like you missed out on a normal childhood because of, you know, all these strict rituals that he had for us? And I said, absolutely not, because... He taught us how to be the best version of ourselves and how to love ourselves so that we could attract the right people into our lives. And it's true. Like all the friends that I have, I've known them like all my life. And there are people who are so connected to the values that I that I hold true in my heart. And yeah, my goals, my purpose, they're, you know, we're very much aligned there. And it's all because of him because he taught us at a very young age that it's important to know yourself and your worth. Um, and him pushing us into like these martial arts and like all these male dominated sports was intentional, you know, because we were surrounded by people and institutions that were telling us that we couldn't do this. We couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And then we came home to a father who was always like, you know, you are a force to be reckoned with. So let's get to work. Wow. That's great. And it, it sounds like he also didn't actually limit you in any way because you were allowed to also pursue your passions and now you and your yes. siblings are doing a whole bunch of different things. He was he wasn't like you must go into science, you must go into math, you must go into whatever. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He just told us to follow our passion and for me he knew that was technology. Um and so he pushed me and he encouraged me every step of the way and when I wanted to do, you know, like for me, I noticed that I wasn't super good at the martial arts. Like my siblings were kicking ass at Taekwondo and I was just like not into it that much. So of course I engaged, I engaged, I engaged. And then at, at a certain point I told them like, listen, like I'm more artistic. Like I like to play drums and I want to be part of the school band. And he was like, yeah, go for it. And then I went to, um, <laughs> I went to the drumming club and there was a Spanish teacher there. So he was the one uh, in charge of this class and there was nobody there and i said oh i'm sorry did i miss the, the first class and he was like no nobody signed up except for you <laughs> and i was <laughs> drum line was, one person <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and i was so disheartened by that for some reason so i went to my dad and i said like fine you're right like there's no i have no future in drumming so i'll just go back to you know, Aww. like um, football or something. And he was like, no, like you signed up for this. So you have to commit to it. And mm -hmm. so he pushed me and I kept going back to the classes and it was just me and Mr. Pablo. I still remember his name. And he was just sitting beside me having his lunch. And I was like practicing, practicing, practicing. And I became good. And I became something that I could list on my CV. Like when I was very younger, you know, just in my <laughs> list of interests, just to see like, yes, I'm a drummer. Like I can actually say that now because he pushed me. But otherwise I was so close to giving up. And he also he taught me so many important lessons along the way. 
Um, and yeah, one of them was to to keep pushing, even if there's even if there's a crowd behind you, if it's something that you're passionate about, like you have to pursue it because you never want to have regrets later on in life. Wow. Yeah. Right? I love supportive parents. They make me so happy. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Absolutely. He sounds quite <laughs> nurturing as much as being firm, but so he probably felt that, you know, he had to, he was the only one who could really push you and your siblings to do this because did you have much support or any from the education system, from just community, other peers, and the kind of the environment you were in growing up to, you know, pursue your dreams and to be the most, the best you can be? You know, the interesting thing is I actually grew up in the slums. So we lived in the slums and we went to the top private school in the country. So my classmates were, their their parents were millionaires they were celebrities they were royals and at the end of the day i had to come back and live in the slums and have you know friends and close relatives who live there as well and i grew up with that stark contrast of what it's like what life is like on both sides of the economic spectrum and i don't know if it was intentional from my father because he could have moved us out of there at any point in our lives but he didn't you know he, he, he built a big house he kept us all there we, we went to a posh school every day we came back to you know, the slums. And it was really important for us and really pivotal for us to understand what life was like in general for all kinds of people. Um, so I did grow I did go to an amazing school. I had amazing teachers, uh, had great classmates as well from all around the world. Um, and they were all from all kinds of cultures and religions. And that, of course, contributed to us being very, you know, nurturing and open-minded and diverse. So that's definitely, that definitely played a key role. But us living in the slums also opened our eyes and our minds to the fact that there's so much inequality in the world and we can't keep quiet about this. We have to do something. So, you know, we never actually paid the tuition because we couldn't afford the tuition at the school. And we were very much aware of that, you know. Me and my siblings were aware of that, but my dad always pushed us to be as, to go to the same events that my friends were going to, to be just as involved as they were. You know, there were certain times where my friends took like a ski trip to Switzerland, like the entire class went to, you know, Switzerland on a ski trip, or they went to Portugal or Spain and like, a, a, you know, a whole class visit. And my dad was disheartened because he could not, could not afford the plane tickets and all the other costs that were associated with, with these visits. But when it came to every other thing that me and my classmates were involved in, he did his 110% to, to make sure that we felt very involved and very much included in the process. So I went to a great school and I'm I'm really grateful that he provided us that opportunity. And oh, by the way, I didn't mention that I was able to go to the school tuition-free because he was the finance manager at the school. So that was okay. one of the benefits that we had. Yeah. So I got I was very lucky, I guess. It sounds like he also was extremely or is extremely resourceful. And yeah. And I mean, like, you know, the resources he has, he's going to use them in the most efficient and best way and has also really taught you guys that, your, you and your siblings that. Like, I think he exemplified that is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Like, when it comes to resourcefulness, I can't think of anyone else other than him that exemplifies that, honestly, even more. I think, like, the worst thing that he could ever say to us is, you're disorganized, which is, like, a huge insult coming from him. <laughs> because, like, <laughs> you know, he trains us to be, like, so uh, organized in everything that we're doing. Um, and, yeah, like I said, he runs a tight ship. Like, we have to be organized in our personal lives, in our school. And even now, like, we're grown up, we're adults, and he still checks up on still checks in on us to make sure that everything is going well. And if we need his support, we can always 
um, get him involved in like some of the challenges we're facing and so on. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not just that he was a finance manager and obsessed with spreadsheets and organization and all of that, but he influenced us to also be very productive and efficient um, and in a good way, not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but doing it because it, it enriches our lives, you know? Yeah. So he, he taught us that, I think, from a very early age. Um, yeah. So for me, being disorganized now, it's like, it's a crime. I can't do that. <laughs> can't oh, my gosh. My, that's my whole life. I, I don't know how to <laughs> get too. organized. So I could probably learn from you. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think personally myself, um, at least in contrast to my siblings, I'm very like into productivity. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept Ikigai. I just heard about this and I really want to look more into it. It's the idea that like, you probably can explain it better, but it's the idea that your purpose and what you like to do and what you can do for the world kind of intersect and then that's your perfect thing that you can do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean... um, for me, I had heard this term on and off for many years. I had even watched a TED talk about it and I was moved, but I didn't really do much. And then I think a year or so ago, I went to like this meditation retreat. And one of the last things that we did together as a group was this Ikigai exercise. And I was like, well, I mean, this is like a nightmare for a multi-potential. Like, cause, like you have to put everything yeah. into boxes. And it's like, no, but this fits on this box. And like, no, but you know, it doesn't, this doesn't make that much sense and so on. So it was like very <laughs> frustrating for me. But at the end, um, I noticed that the thing, my guy is, or my, my purpose in this world is to become a productivity coach. And I just found that so weird because like productivity is just my default state, you know? I never really thought that it was something that the world or just human beings needed to enrich their lives. But this exercise really made oh, me reflect me. deeply Huge. about my we life. Very nice. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I did the exercise on my own, but I, yeah, I mean, what I'm good at, I mean, like, like I said, it's my default state. Like, it's something that I don't really worry too much about because it's something that's wired in my brain. Yeah. Because it's from a young age because of my dad always telling us, like, if we slack even a little bit you know we would get so much like like we would get a huge lecture from him about like why are we slacking like you know we're far behind from other people and like we it's always his voice in my head so and then in college it became more natural and then now that I'm like working and everything it's like uh, like I said my default state like I love productivity so it's definitely something that I think I'm good at and then it's what I love to do also like it genuinely makes me happy if I'm like anxious about something or if I'm sad and if I just get up from my bed or my uh, chair and I start being productive and I start doing different tasks then I find that I am very happy and Mm. I'm doing what I love yeah it feels good um and then yeah and then coaching as well like I love teaching people and I love working with people to find to overcome some of the challenges that they're facing in their daily lives and I've noticed I've done that a lot with people when it comes to time management and productivity and then yeah the last one like what the world needs so this is something i had to think a lot about but then at the end you know from all the productivity books that i've read it is absolutely something that people need to enrich their lives so i found out that that was my ikigai and so yeah cool. now i want to pursue it full-time like i want to be a productivity coach oh, that's cool. <laughs> and do cybersecurity. <laughs> Yeah, and awesome. do everything Breaking else. Track, yes, right? of course. Yeah. We're multi-potentialites. How are we supposed yeah. to pick one thing? Um, yeah. 
I've got a question about um, just going a little bit back to your upbringing. Like, I um, I don't want to get too much into like me, but I, I'll just preface by saying that I sometimes put internal pressure on myself to be better than I am, but not in a way that's like productive or like positive. It's more like I have really bad negative self-talk when I don't get what I need to do done or when I'm not productive or whatever. You had a really positive experience with your dad, even though he ran a tight ship and everything. Like now as an adult, you look back and you're like, I'm so thankful for that. But I wonder, does it ever slip into an internal pressure that's a little bit more negative? Or have you always found that that positive pressure, or sorry, that pressure that you might put on yourself because of your experience with your dad, because of what he taught you, actually ends up being positive and really sparks you to take action and that kind of thing? Or does it ever slip into kind of a Mm. not so nice inner self-talk or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the thing is, when it comes to my work now, it has been so natural for me to be productive, Mm -hmm. that it's also enabled me to only do work that I love. So yes, I do have negative self-talk, but I feel like that's outside of my productivity and my work. Mm -hmm. But that's more related to other challenges that I'm having. So in terms of my like personal relationships with other people and how that's affecting me. Because I, in, a, in, a, in an ideal world, I would like everything to be as perfect as it is in my, you know, in my professional life, yeah. but it's not, right? And the more time and energy that I invest in my passion projects and my work, the less time that I have to be social with friends and to make new connections and to be more attentive to my partner and other people in my life. And that is from, from those experiences and those emotions, there's a lot of self t- and a lot of negative talk that comes in, in, my, in my mind that no amount of like productivity expert, you know, <laughs> can solve. Like that's something that I have to deal with personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no, like that's not something that you can avoid. I think that's something that I will always go through because I missed out on so many opportunities in the past to strike a balance between my work life and my personal life. Cause I said like, no, 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 no. I don't care so much about, you know, uh, my personal life that much. This gives me happiness. This brings me joy. This helped me create impact in the world. This is what I'm going to focus on. And so I kept missing out on that harmonious balance, you know, between mm-hmm. work and so on. And that creates a lot of like anxiety and negative self-talk and, you know, like, Mm, yeah you can't do you can't do it all and you know you're not smart enough to do it all and you know they don't care about you and that's why they're pressuring you to come to this event or that event and they don't want to see you successful they don't you know like and I think also that could have come from um my upbringing in some ways I think because my father is always like um he always cautioned us from like entering relationships or friendships with certain people because mm-hmm. he had like a criteria of people that we should, you know, network with or people that we should bring into our lives. Um, and, you know, like there are, of course, amazing people out there, right, who are, who smoke or who go to parties and so on. Like they're still great people, but they just yeah. have these habits. Yeah. And for him, if they have these habits, then like they could, he was scared that we could also have these habits in the future. So he was like, uh-uh, steer clear of these people. I think that's very natural for parents, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, that's very yeah. much, yeah, something that most parents worry about. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. But, um, like, we followed his rules very religiously, you know? So we always had, like, a very certain group of people that we hung out with. 
Um, and so now whenever I meet people who have, who exhibit these habits, you know, I'm an adult, like I can make mm. my own choices, but then there's still his voice in my head saying like, no, no, no. But what if they lead, what if they encourage me to also adopt these habits and also to stray away from my, from my productivity and my efficiency and so on. So it's not perfect, but yeah. I think I have to find a healthy balance and I'm working on that. Definitely. Thanks for answering that. So truthfully, I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, like he, yeah, trusting yourself and uh, believing in yourself, and you've got that foundation to, I think, know that you'll make the right choices. I guess. I mean, have you ever felt? I yeah. guess a common theme, you know, in childhood, people getting growing up in adult, that you, there's a phase of rebellion, and then where you push back mm. usually against your parents or whoever the influence is, and that's healthy. I mean, we all kind of have to go through that. Have, how have you dealt with that, especially in that kind of environment you've grown up in? Guys, I actually have a book called Rebellion. <laughs> oh, yes. I was reading about that on the site. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say like it's a full book. It's like 50 or 60 pages. It's an ebook, but it's like a story of my life, you know? Oh, wow. Um, That's because cool. I have always considered myself, and my daughter even says this until this day, like my siblings are like, dad, are you going to let her do this? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and he says like, yeah, but it's her. I mean, like, come on, like you have to... <laughs> Because I have always been like a very proud nonconformist. And, you know, I've had all these scary experiences, life-threatening experiences abroad when I lived abroad. Mm. But even when I lived in Ethiopia, you know, there was a time when, uh, and I mentioned this in the book, when my sister and I were kidnapped. And (laughs) I will also blame myself for this because I was just so optimistic and I just couldn't see the warning signs. And she's like younger than me. And she even knew that we were in a very, you know, dangerous situation and so we were actually kidnapped and but nothing happened to us thank god but um i actually used a story that i had read on cora about this woman who avoided her who tried to avoid her stalker and then one day he just walked into her house and he was sitting in her living room you know scrolling through the tv channels and she freaked out but she didn't do anything she just like played like um she pretended as though she had like stockholm syndrome so she was just like oh yeah um it's so great that you're here. I mean, I, you know, you always follow me. So like, we might as well, I mean, wow. <laughs> like wow. it's good that we are eventually meeting and he was confused by it, but he just played along also. And she was like, why don't you stay here and make yourself comfortable and I'll go get us something to drink. And then while he was like, okay, he was sitting in the living room. She called the cops. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> she got him kicked out, but she played, she had to play along because she had a baby in her, wow. in her, in one of the bedrooms. So she couldn't lose her cool, you know, she had to be strong. And yeah, so I, I read this story on Cora because I was obsessed with Cora back then. And, and then I remembered that I, I'm in a very similar situation right now as well. We're, we're with these two guys who won't let us go. And then at one point, my sister actually banged the door of like uh, one of the, the doors of the van and she like ran out and one of the guys was about to chase her. And the guy driving was like, no, 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 just leave her, just leave her. And she just ran into like a forest. So I was terrified that I would never find her again. So it was just me at the end, you know, me and the kidnappers. So I, they were like, don't worry, like, we'll drop you off home. Just like, we'll have some drinks and so on. And I was like screaming inside. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And I was like, but you know what? If if I don't find her, my dad's going to kill me. So how about you guys just park the van here? You can like see me. I'm, I'm not going to run away or anything. I just need to find her. And we argued back and forth for so long. But at the end, they were like, okay, fine. But we're watching you. And they followed me with the van. It was one of the most scariest oh experiences gosh. in my life. <laughs> yeah. So I had to run because I, I mean, I had to like scream her name. 
she wasn't responding. She saw me, but she wasn't responding. She was hiding behind this huge dumpster. And then I grabbed her, like I saw her shadow. And then I ran to her, I grabbed her. And then we just like ran so quickly because we saw like some people in the distance. And then they were also following us with the van, but it got to a point where other people were also staring at us, like wondering what was going on. And then, yeah, finally we reached safety and we, we couldn't breathe. Obviously we were terrified, but um, that was a really scary experience. And that was a risk, right? Me playing along because of some post that I had read on Quora, like this is my life, you know, mm-hmm. but I took a risk. Yeah. And then I, I mentioned like nine other incidents in the book <laughs> times where I really thought my life was going to end. And yeah, wow. I had to come up with a solution like on the spot. Wow. That was really crazy. <laughs> I think we can safely say that that's the first kidnapping story we've had on the I, podcast. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. I'm yeah. so <laughs> immensely happy that it turned out the way it did. Yeah, oh my too. goodness. Too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because normally these stories don't have a happy ending. Right. Um, and it yeah, traumatizes people don't. for years. Yeah. Uh, but thank God I wasn't alone. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, we still talk about it with my sister sometimes and, you know, now she's okay with it. Like she's not traumatized too much. And it was, and it's such an important lesson for both of us as well, not to trust strangers and also, yeah, what to expect because we, um, they played us so well. Like they really made us feel like, cause we were stranded. We didn't know where we were initially and they made us feel like they were our brothers or something and like they could take care of us and they'll, they'll get us home safe. And my sister was like super like, scared the entire time and yeah you know if it wasn't for her i wouldn't have an excuse to leave the van Mm. so her being there also kind of um helped me get to safety i guess Mm -hmm. you know this is like the kind of story you could do a ted talk on or you could do like a story (laughs) slam i don't know if you've ever heard of story slam it's like a poetry no. slam, but it's with stories, oh. and uh, they do them all over the world, nice. and they're so awesome, and they're tr- usually, I'm pretty sure, almost always true stories. They're usually um, wow. just a few yeah. minutes long, and they're competitions, so people get up, and uh, I'm not sure how people are doing it with COVID right now, but generally, usually, people get up and on stage, tell their story, um, and yeah. then it's it's a competition, like a story, wow. like a poetry slam, but just with stories. Like the moth, or yes, oh, kind of like I love the moth. Yeah, I love the moth. You could totally be on the moth. <laughs> oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, yeah, I would love to do that, and I love poetry. Um, I wish we had like a bigger scene here for like these um, poetry competitions and so on. I think that would be really great. But yeah, this is definitely a story that I'm going to tell in the future. Yeah, just thought like my book is one way of doing that. Well, my ebook. Um, and then I hope to have it published soon just to for people to read that story and other crazy incidents of when I wrote that book, I said, like, I've lived my life as a rebellion, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in a country which is like one of the most religious countries in the world. And I've always been like an outspoken atheist, which is like a crime. Like, it's actually a crime to wow. speak out against God. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I had a dad also who was, he's also an atheist, but I mean, he's a rational atheist. He's not outspoken at all when it comes to religion. And he, that's one of the important lessons he also taught me, which is like, look, it's great that you're outspoken about the things that you care about and the things that you feel are, you know, immoral in this world or unjust, but religion is very sensitive. And one thing that you have to do is like, you have to respect people's people for who they are and what they believe in, even if that's like, con- is like completely different with what you believe in. Mm. So that's an important lesson he taught me. And ever since we had that conversation, I think when I was a teenager, I stopped like going against people like or like debating them when it comes to religion I just like 
say, oh, okay, you're you're Jewish or you're a Christian, that's fine. And then I just move on. But um, yeah, I mean, you're really not allowed to say that you are an, an atheist here. Um, but, wow. you know, I've always been proud of my beliefs. And the fact that I'm also a multipod, uh, the fact that I come from a big family, the fact that I grew up in the slums, um, the fact that I was obsessed with a country for seven plus years without ever, ever visiting it, which is like for some people, it was like, why? It doesn't make any sense. Like, just go there. And I said, one day I will. I will go there. Mm. So I've always been like a huge question mark for everybody that knows me. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. We could keep going here, wow. I think, for ages. I know. Yeah, There's so much to talk about. Could. Yeah. So yeah. much. Uh, well, we'll have to have you on again. Yeah, well, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You can come yeah, and uh, that would be great. You can come and help out if and, and on our podcast too. You know, it's a platform. Of yeah. course, as Christy's doing, you know, to, to chat with people. So, what's the name of your podcast, Eden? So that when it launches, people can. It's called Stem Setoch. So Setoch is spelled S E T O C H, Setoch, and that means girls or women in my um, native language, Amharic. Huh. Cool. Oh, yeah. Nice. But um, yeah. I mean, if anybody. If anybody's following me on LinkedIn, I think I'll be publishing it there, like the landing page and all the interviews that I did with women. Or you could they could just type it into Google Podcasts, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, in a week or so, and they'll find it there. Nice, awesome. very cool. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Well, I guess we'll have to cut it off there. It's uh... <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. Already been recording forty seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> such great stories. Yeah, awesome, awesome. stuff. Yeah, cool. So now when we see you in the, you know, around the forum and so on, like it, we, it's such a fuller picture, of course, of, of who you are and, and yeah. the things you've been through. And even that's just scratching the surface. So thanks so much for sharing, yeah. for sharing with us and giving us that insight. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for spending time with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guys, yeah. really. I really appreciate the invite. It's been great to discuss this all with you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Awesome.